Jonah, we have announcements. Surprise. It's not music and an intro. We have something else for you today. There is something else. There's still an episode. Have no fear. Yeah, we're not going to just leave it at this, but tickets are on sale now for upcoming tour dates. On Thursday, May 12th, we will make our Moorhead, Minnesota debut at Swing Barrel Brewing, followed by our return to ever-popular DCR Brewing in Fargo on May 13th. And then on June 1st, we'll be at our sold out show, sold out, probably our biggest one yet. Biggest one yet. Yeah, at Atypical Brewery and Barrel Works in Minot, North Dakota, followed by the next night, June 2nd. We'll be hanging with hopefully all of you at the Luft Rooftop, Rooftop Bar in Bismarck, North Dakota. The Luft Rooftop in Bismarck, North Dakota. So in review, Thursday, May 12th, Moorhead, Swing Barrel. Friday, May 13th. Ooh, scary. Friday, May 13th. Live show DCR Brewing in Fargo. June 1st, atypical. Currently, that show is sold out. Maybe there will be more tickets available before that happens. We'll see. No guarantees. And finally, June 2nd, we're back at the Luft Rooftop Bar in Bismarck, North Dakota. All those tickets are available and on sale now at Eventbrite. At Eventbrite. You can check us out on our social media for the links. You can find the events, all of that stuff. It will take you right there or search for Midwest Murder on Eventbrite. Right. And I know I say this all the time, but the tickets are going fast. Like that's like, it's, it's weird. It's weird how fast they go. It's super cool. And we appreciate you. So get your tickets now. But wait, <gasps> there's more. There's more. There's so much more. We're not just going on tour this summer. We are partnering with some of these incredible breweries and we have found an awesome way to give back to our communities in Minot, and in Fargo, and hopefully more to come. And Don and I just really, since we've been doing this, have felt strongly that we wanted to be able to make a difference somehow. And and telling these stories and bringing some of these victims to light is one way to do it. But we found out creatively, perhaps there's more we can do, just a little bit more. There is more. And well, if, you know, if you've been a longtime listener of the show, you know that I, I get on my soapbox about victims and victims' rights and victims' advocacy and... Wow, there is so much more we can do. So Midwest Murder is getting a couple of its very own beers. We have beer. We have beer. So cool. And it's not just that we have beer. These beers, every time you drink and purchase one of these guys responsibly, you will be benefiting, helping to benefit a really amazing cause in Minot and Fargo. So in Minot, we're partnering with Atypical Brewery and Barrel Works. It's a raspberry lemon sour beer called Buried Alive. And the proceeds from that beer will directly benefit our DVCC here in Minot. That's the Domestic Violence Crisis Center in Minot. That beer will be available on June 1st at our show there. But it doesn't stop there. In Fargo, we partnered with DCR Brewing Company to bring you a beer called Crime of Passion Fruit. This is a... Passion Fruit, guava, and blood orange. Sour beer. And that will be available on Friday, May 13th at our show there. And proceeds from the purchases of Crime of Passion Fruit will benefit the Rape and Abuse Crisis Center in the Fargo-Moorhead area. We are very honored to be partnering with these organizations, and we are very honored to have fans like you who helped us get here and helped make these partnerships possible. Thank you. Thank you so much. So check us out for tickets. You'll want to be there if you can, especially for our beer releases. Check us out on Eventbrite for more information. We've all heard the phrase... That kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. 
In fact, it happens more often than we know, and sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully, the justice that was ultimately delivered. Oh, Don Palumbo. Jonah Lanto. It chills me to the bone every time. Every single time, every single time. And holy smokes, we are back in the studio for the first time in a long time, and it feels feels kind of nice. It's cool. It's cool. It's I, exciting. I, I love the live shows. Maybe I love a that. dose of weird. <laughs> it is. I would say it's weird. Man, the studio. This is where it all began. It is. It, right it, here. It's, yeah, it's like a warm hug, right? And it is warm. So thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed our little podcast. We live and die by an algorithm these days. So if you would be so kind as to keep those reviews coming, we would be so greatly appreciative. It does amazing things for our podcast. That being said, J-Dog, what are people saying about Midwest murder? Oh, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Willful Green says, ugh, one star. Dumbing down, her screeching voice, no logic, and in parentheses here, and no, the women didn't love being attacked, but they loved being seduced. Waste of time. Ouch. For two things. The women didn't love being attacked, but they loved being seduced. What, what do you even mean by that? I, sure. I, don't even, I, I don't even know. I feel maybe it's in reference to the Johan Hoke episode, and I don't know that we alleged women loved being attacked so much as, again, Hoke was loved at parties. Right. He, he was he, he was, was like Rumpelstiltskin. Literally socially in demand and and hypnotized right. people, and people thought it was amazing. Yeah. So, anyway, I, but I'm not you, sure. can, you confuse me there. And I I have to say, I have almost more of a manly voice and a screeching voice, unless Sultry. I get really excited. Uh, so screeching, I mean... I feel like you, you got confused... By some, with someone else there, and at least for once, it's your voice under attack and not mine. Because <laughs> yeah. I've, I've taken a few, I've taken a, a, a few punches over the uh, months, and yeah. I, I, you know what? It's it was your turn. It, it's my turn. It's my turn. One star. You but know. hey, you know but, what? Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, we, and we reviewing us, that. and I and I would just say. Once, when you get messages like this, I appreciate the positive ones more, but hey, this offers us a moment of self-reflection. Right. And I think haters kind of, they, they make you stronger they, they and make they, you they stronger. make you question a little exactly. bit and they make they make you just stay true to your purpose. And a little sharper. Yeah, right? yeah I agree. Exactly. Right. Number two, review number two from Dino Mom 821 Love, double exclamation point, five stars. Ooh. Easily one of my new favorites. Love that the hosts keep the pace going and just have a way with storytelling. They each bring something special and awesome to the table, which keeps me coming back for new episodes. Bam. It's good follow-up. That is so cool. That is very, very cool. I wonder if it's, um, they keep the pace, the pace going. Is that because I talk so fast? (laughs) (laughs) I I gave my own review to myself there. We want want to banter about great things like buymeacoffee.com forward slash Midwest murder, where you can support us. If you love what we do, you can just say, Hey, I want to, I want to throw some money at you guys. That was a great episode. You can kick in five, 10, 20 bucks, whatever you feel good about. And if you don't, Hey, that's, That's cool okay too. too. It's but, there. And, w- and what that does for us is it helps us pay for, pay for case files 
it might help uh, Jonah stay overnight when he gets stranded somewhere, yeah, which, which has know. happened. You know, yeah. it just it helps us kind of take down some of the costs of of putting this little 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 beauty together. And finally, you can find us now. We have merch. We have merch. I love it. I'm happy to tell you about it. It's tpublic dot com forward slash stores forward slash Midwest Murder. If you're having trouble finding the link, just hit up one of our social medias. It's there. T Public is a big place with with. If you just go to T Public, unfortunately, and like search Midwest Murder, you actually don't find you don't us. Don't find us. It's, it's weird. It's, it's, yeah, it's a little. It's, it's a little obnoxious, mm-hmm. but that's the way it is. That's yeah. why we tell you exactly where you can find it, or you can hit us up on the social medias. You'll find some of our favorite phrases there. And a quick shout out to all to, to our fans over the years who have listened to us. I guess not years yet, years, but yeah, we're almost, getting there. We're almost there. Almost there. If there's a standout phrase or something silly or funny one of us said at any point in time that you think would make a great t-shirt, please tell us. Let us know. That would be so cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're down for it. So thanks, guys. We are. In fact, that's where, that is where came from the Midwest, stayed for the murder, came from, was a fan. fan. So see, you could end up on a t-shirt. All right. The year was 2006. George W. Bush was in his second term as U.S. president. I'm truly wondering if I slept for part of this year because it does feel a little fuzzy, but you were, you were young and having fun. I don't think I was that young. I think I was, I was almost married. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I was pretty young. (laughs) The Nintendo Wii was introduced. Google bought YouTube, which I, up until uh, the other day, I had no idea that that had happened. I knew it happened, but I didn't think it was back in 2006. That's what surprised me about that one. Yeah, that's uh, and I, I know, like I questioned that. I was like, that wasn't in two thousand six. And I know I, I I gave you shit for questioning everything I did that day, but um, but that was one of them. It was it was fair. It was a fair question. It was a fair question. So, North Korea claimed to have tested a nuclear weapon, which I think was not true. Hawaii dealt with a six point six magnitude earthquake, and U.S. residents had very little fun with an E. coli outbreak from fresh spinach and lettuce. Maybe not so fresh. I don't think it was, or not so clean. And it was a death sentence for Saddam Hussein. And sadly, Steve Irwin, also known as the Crocodile Hunter, I will never do an Australian accent again. That wasn't really Australian. I panicked at the end. Was killed by a stingray barb. Well, you were were trying to offset the sting of... Sadness I think it, that we all right. feel from the loss of Steve Irwin, truly yeah. uh, somebody who, who man, he put before. his mark. He yeah. put his mark. He on, did, and his, and his family's still doing it. Yeah, I love the man. I love them growing up, and oh. and that was it's a sad one. Sweet Bindi, I just I love I love her and his son. I mean, it's still kind of. I think they're both carrying on his his legacy along with his his wife. So very cool. In sports news, Italy defeated France in the two thousand six World Cup, which is soccer for those of you that don't know. Oh, was, you're going to get shit that a, for that one. That was it. You're going to get shit for yeah. telling people the World Cup was soccer. I know. That was... You just made, uh, you just made an anti-fan right there. I did. That was a, that was a joke. <laughs> it was a joke because, because apparently, <laughs> apparently we dumb down things too often, you know? So I really wanted to just, just dig that hole deeper. And I know most of you know what a World Cup is, so just, just joking. It's okay. Don't come at me. Barry Bonds, playing for the San Francisco Giants, broke Babe Ruth's record and hit his 715th home Run. We watched the Winter Olympics that year in Torino, Italy. Tiger Woods won the British Open and his third US PGA. And the Pittsburgh Steelers won the Super Bowl. And finally, St. Louis Cardinals won the World Series in the baseball world. I think that was Jerome the Bus Bettis got his Super Bowl in that one. So kind, I kind, think he did. kind of a cool moment. Yeah, absolutely. So today's case brings us to Bonaparte, Iowa, about two and a half hours from Des Moines. Or four and a half from Chicago. Uh, first time in, in Iowa. Yeah, for those of you keeping track, first time in Iowa. I'm, I'm keeping track yeah, because yeah. there's a few of these places we haven't been yet, and we're coming. We're, we're coming. We're coming for you. Yeah. Mike and Sandra Bentler were the kind of parents every kid wanted. 
Mike was was successful as the owner of the Mount, Mount Hamill Elevator and Lumber, in addition to another lumber yard and two grain elevators. Busy guy, which That's is a big good. business right there. Yeah, yeah. So it really Mount, is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, huge. And I think you know if anybody had any of had built a home, remodeled a home, done anything. I mean, they they likely knew Mike. And Mount Hamill, that's about uh, 15 to 20 minutes from Bonaparte, but they lived they lived in the area. Sandra or Sandy, she didn't work outside the home while her four children, Sean, Sheena, Shelby, and Shane were younger. But as they grew older, she worked in the office at the lumber yard with her husband. They were, they were committed to the S names there. <laughs> they were, they were. Yeah, except Mike. Yeah. And with four kids, I mean, they were busy with sporting events. They had athletic children. They were busy, you know, with work, then kids. And then, but the coolest thing is they always made it to their kids' games, right? I mean, that's super cool. So dedicated. Those are the kind of families that are going from 6.30 in the morning till 8, 8 o'clock at oh, night with absolutely. practices right. and trying yeah. to squeeze food in there somewhere. And Yeah, there's yeah, like that, that meme where you either have, um, you have dinner or supper at 3.45 p.m. or you eat at 9.30. Like, that's it. Those are, there are no, there's no in between, right? So Sheena, 17, she was incredibly smart and so well-liked. She had a bubbly, captivating personality and was, and it was actually to be the valedictorian of her graduating class that year. That's an honor. Yeah, very, very cool. The middle Bentler sister, 15-year-old Shelby, she liked to cook. She loved horses. In fact, you know, all three girls had their own and, and really loved the outdoors. The youngest, 14-year-old Shane, was as fun-loving as her sisters and just as feisty. And again, all three girls were incredibly athletic. They were competitive and seemed to get along with with everyone. And they also got their joking and their mischievous personalities from their mom, Sandra, because she could be described in a similar way. Mike and Sandra lived in a gorgeous 3,300-square-foot, somewhat relatively new house at the time, which overlooked the Des Moines River. They lived there with their three daughters, while their son, Sean, lived about an hour and a half away. Their neighbors really didn't even have anything negative to say about the family. And, you know, even even some going as far as saying the family got along great. So, Sean, he's the oldest of the he's four the children. He's the oldest. Yep, okay. he's 22, spreading his wings, right? Living living away from home. It was October 14th, 2006. The weather, still a little, little summery, right? And in true Midwest weather fashion, it was warm during the day at about 77, but then, you know, super cool overnight at 45 degrees, right? So, it's if you go out for dinner... You, know, you don't bring a jacket and then you come home and it's like, oh my gosh, it's so cold, right? You know, it's everybody, if you're, if you're in the area, you know, you're, right? you're, you're sweating at three o'clock and you want a jacket by 10, 11, exactly. or it's kind of cold. Yeah, and yeah. when you said in true Midwest fa- fashion, I thought you were going to say you made up a word in summary. I thought that's, <laughs> I, well, I, I did, I did make up a word. Yeah. 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 But that, I suppose that's all also Midwest fashion, right? Yeah. Yeah. So at 3.38 a.m., a 911 operator, Nancy Springsteen, received a call from the home of Mike and Sandra Bentler. On the other end is 14-year-old Shane. She whispers to the operator that her mother told her to call and said, quote, My brother's going to do something. I don't know what. My mom's yelling at him saying, Sean, don't. End quote. In the background, the 911 operator hears, Please don't. Please, Sean, don't. Then a popping sound. Just seconds after the popping sound, Shane screams, Sean, no. Then the line goes quiet. Just before Shane's call went quiet, a second call was received into the 911 system. The 911 operator tried to switch over to the other line, but when she when she did, nobody was there. After Shane's call ended, the operator called back the number that didn't have a caller, and it went directly to 15-year-old Shelby Bentler's voicemail. The phone was registered to Sandra Bentler. Trying to make contact, the operator then tried calling the Bentler landline and didn't get an answer. Gotta imagine the feeling 
this 911 operator has right. in hearing that yeah. right now. I mean, now. In, a, in a rural area, you know, probably not probably not hopping on calls, right? You it know, probably not busy. Might and then, be someone you know. Yeah, yeah. And likely someone you know. Uh, just the, we don't, I, I, yeah. I don't know that we've given enough love or credit, if you will, to 911 operators over the time on our podcast. And, 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 and yeah. in hearing this, I just wanted to say, Shout out to everybody taking on that job because yeah. that, that stuff can't be easy. They're the, you know, they're the first line of defense. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, it, yeah. That's bone chilling. It, it is. Yeah. And what probably seemed like an eternity, but only just 17 minutes later, law enforcement arrived at the Bentler rural home. The sheriff's deputy looked into a sliding glass door of the home and saw a body on the floor. If the 911 call wasn't enough to convince them something was wrong, this made it even more clear. They began to search the home and with Deputy Brad Hudson calling out each family member's name one by one until they came across the slaughtered Bentler family. Mike's nude body was found between the doorway of the master bedroom and the hallway. Sandra, dressed in a red sweater, denim jeans, and dark socks, was found lying against a chair with an arm draped over the, across the st- seat of the chair at the top of the stairs. Shane was found in a closet with portions of the phone receiver around her. The imprint of the telephone on her face, that would indicate that... With the phone, with, you know, parts of the phone, there was a bullet hole through that, that part. So it would indicate that she had been shot with the phone next to her face. So likely while she was on the phone and when the phone went dead. Shelby was found in a different closet. And then 17-year-old Sheena was found in her bed in the lower level of the home, dressed in her PJs. All had been shot in the head or the face with a twenty-two caliber rifle. Those poor girls hiding for their lives in those closets, man. That's that, that one... Uh, that gets me. And the, the mother pleading, who knew, I mean, who knew what Mike saw? And and then 17-year-old Sheena, just dressed in her PJs, maybe not hearing the commotion. Yeah, it's a tough one. Tough, uh, a sobering scene, that's for sure. And of course, we have to wait for the evidence, but it would appear, based on this 911 call, this may have been their older brother, their own brother that stalked them through their house and mercilessly killed them. Law enforcement didn't find 22-year-old Sean, but they did find his phone. The last call that had been placed was to a friend at 12.09 that same morning, October 14th. So a couple hours before these murders. Yes. It wasn't out of the ordinary that Sean wasn't there. I mean, because again, you know, he he didn't live there. He, he lived about an hour and 20 minutes away from his family home in Quincy, Illinois. So probably out of concern, but more so out of suspicion, Law enforcement contacted their counterparts in Quincy and requested Sean Bentler be placed under surveillance because they hoped he could provide the answers to their very long list of questions. Yeah, he's sus. I'm sorry, but he's suspect number one (laughs) right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and in the meantime, of course, you know, they've got to process the scene. So law enforcement, along with the Department of Criminal Investigation, began, began doing just that. And they would be there for two days. You know, when you think, I mean, there's five victims, right? Five victims and, and... Spread throughout the house, right. plus you're you're looking for forensic evidence outside if there's anything, and yeah. Yeah. Later in the day, unknowingly, under surveillance, Bentler left his apartment in Quincy, Illinois, that he shared with a roommate at approximately 10 a.m. The Quincy Police Department stopped him and took him into custody at about 10.20 a.m., approximately seven hours after his murdered family was found. So he was taken into custody for driving without a valid license and an outstanding warrant. At this time, he still hadn't been told of the massacre of his family. So the law enforcement from Iowa made the short drive to Quincy where Bentler was hanging out in jail. The interrogation video shows the entire interview. His responses were short. 
giving small answers to small talk questions for nearly 40 minutes. It was then Agent Bill Keatsman with the DCI, Department of Criminal Investigation, said he needed to talk to him about a problem in Bonaparte. Agent Keatsman goes into, the de- into detail of the 911 call and tells him, quote, evidence is going to put you in your house. What I have to know is how things got so terribly out of control last night that you took a gun and killed your family, end quote. Oh, man. And yeah, you could, and just catching some of the stills from the, from the video. I mean, his, you know, at this, at one point his head's in his hands, he's shaking. I mean, he was, it was. Not exactly cool, calm and collected in the the wake of perhaps facing the reality that you killed your family and it's not going to end well for you. Exactly. So on October 15th, just past the Bentler's home in a ditch, investigators discovered a rifle. So that's part of that two-day process, right? Processing of that scene. Wow, okay. So a rifle thought to be from Michael Bentler's private collection. A gun distributor would loosely confirm that it was later. So this family is, this family is shot. They're, they're, I mean, loosely confirmed, right? Probably not going to, I mean, it's not going to. It's one of those things where like, I can't rule out the fact that it was that gun, but I can't definitively tell you with 100% certainty. I think it was. I think it was, but on the off chance it wasn't, you know, I mean, so I, I get it. However, I mean, so let's just, let's just say that it was right. Can you imagine this entire family minus one person? wiped out with a gun from the family. Just, it just, it just hurts. It hurts my heart a little bit. Was it like an heirloom type of? No, no, okay. just a, just a 22 caliber rifle. Okay. You know, it's, I mean, and, and looking, I may or, I may or may not have stocked the home on Zillow the other day. And, and, you know, it's, I, I it's, do that every time I give an address. It's why yeah. I like to give addresses and stuff when I can in some sure. of these cases. So people can see, you can go where... Google maps, some of these places. And yeah, it's, this one, it's, this... it's shocking how friendly some of these neighborhoods look where some of these murders have occurred. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and there's a, you know, wooded area. They were, they loved the outdoors. They were hunters, you know, so having a 22 caliber rifle, not, I mean, not shocking at all. So law enforcement pursued extradition is required by law, of course, which he waived and was transferred back to Iowa. When he made his initial appearance before the judge, Bentler's appointed attorney requested Bentler not be held on bail, but released on his own recognizance, maintaining he would be able to afford the high cash only bond of $2.5 billion. I mean, sounds fair. Sounds fair and reasonable. Is that sarcasm? Yeah. <laughs> okay, big time. I wasn't yeah, sure. Sorry. I wasn't sure. I was like, wow, that, that sounds really- Pretty wild. Exactly. Yeah. So $2.5 million cash. Surprisingly though, the judge did not change it. That was also sarcasm. So meanwhile, the town and the Bentler family mourned in private- not many wanted to talk about the horrific slang, slayings of their neighbors, classmates, or coworkers, kind of avoiding the media. Some did talk, though. And one neighbor, Bill Vickers, was quoted in the Des Moines Register as saying, it's the kind of thing you hear happening in Des Moines or Chicago, not Bonaparte, but it did. End quote. It's in our intro. See, we, we all think that this couldn't happen in our town. And, and it happens. It's, it's, it, the odds are that it's not going to maybe happen to you. Right. But it's going to happen it, in your town. It's, it, it happens. It, it, it does. Yeah. An interesting side note, as I was doing my research, I came across an article in, also in the Des Moines Register that went into astonishing detail regarding Mike and Sandra's wills that they'd had drawn up shortly after their first granddaughter was born. The wills, identical to one another, named their eldest son, Sean, executor, along with one of Mike's sisters and her husband. Because of the possibility of Sean's children, the only grandchildren of Mike and Sandra, inheriting a portion of their estate, a guardian ad litem was appointed, Farmington, Iowa lawyer Steve Westerkamp. So his two children, if he were convicted, were expected to inherit a quarter of the estate. So Sean had two kids. He had two kids. Wow. He had two kids. 
Yeah. And I mean, we're talking, I mean, $2.8 million here is, is the, the size of the estate. You know, it's four sizable. Bi- four, yeah, bi- when, four businesses. When you went into what the businesses these, these guys run, it's, yeah, they were in big business. Yeah. Yeah. So things, things would go incredibly quick according to legal system standards. And that was one thing that, that kept shocking me as I was looking through this. From being charged with the murders to trial, it would only be seven months. So it's rather expeditious, but I, I guess you, in, you, you can be awarded, you're awarded that in the circumstances of a small town. You're not sure. backed up in, they, yeah, in yeah, as they reference yeah. like a place like Des Moines, you're not right. getting backed up in the legal system. And yeah. it would sort of seem all of the evidence was, doesn't feel very circumstantial. It, it seems like there was yeah, an abundance I mean, of evidence on the scene. They found the murder weapon. They've got him on the 911 uh, call. Right, right. He doesn't have the means to get some massive team of lawyers who are going no, to defend him and delay no, this process. So no. yeah, in, yeah. In his, uh, in his request for a court appointed attorney, his salary was $8,000 for the year. So, you know, you have to, you have that, to wonder. That's what right? Sean put down for his own personal for his salary. Own personal salary. Sure. Yep. So I wonder, I wonder if he was not a great worker and maybe was a little taken care of. I don't know. Maybe inconsistent at, at holding down a job. How do we know? How old is he? He's 22. 22. So yeah. he's, and that's, he's, I mean, he's, he should be, that's a young point, parent too. A young parent, you know, but it, you know, you got to. Which really yeah. means you should have you gotta, a full-time job. You got to start having your shit now, I guess if, if, point, right? if you're, if you're in jail and you're saying, yeah, now that I'm in jail, I make eight, 8,000 doing, doing jail labor. Okay. But if, right. if you're, right. if you were making 8K a year at 22 with two kids, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's you're heading in the wrong direction. Yeah. So it, it, with, you know, with all of this stuff that we've, we've been talking about, it seems as though attorneys in this case had their work cut out for them, right? Just prior to the May 2007 trial, an evidence hearing was held. Evidence suppression hearings, you know, are always head scratchers for me. And, and perhaps I look at it too cut and dry, but it often seems that if evidence is quite damning or obvious, attorneys argue it should be suppressed. I, I don't, I don't get it. And I've, <laughs> I mean, I do get it. I do get it. Cause it's, it's like, what that's going it, to, it's like a, in liar, liar where he's like, uh, he can't, obviously he can't lie. And he's like, well, why do you want it suppressed? Because it's really, really bad for my case. Right. You know, like that's, <laughs> it always pops into my head. So I, someday I would really love to have that conversation with a, a defense attorney just to kind of understand it more anyway, regardless. Uh, so to no one's surprise, I'm sure Bentler's attorney attorneys took issue with a 911 call. They claimed the, the call would deprive, quote, their client of his right to cross-examine his accuser, end quote. Yeah, that's the, that's the reason to su- suppress it. And to me, that's like... I just, I'm thumbs up and good for you, <laughs> I know. defense attorneys. I, guess I know you gotta throw your a pass job somehow. is right. really challenging. Right. And that's the best. That's a Hail Mary. Yeah, it is. That's like, well... Can't really, we can't really find, find a reason to pause here, but, uh, don't use the 911 call where people were screaming my client's name in, in hopes of not being murdered by him. And this is where I see Jim Carrey going because it's really, really bad for my case. Right. You know, it's just, it's yeah. And obviously, I mean, on the, on the flip side, the prosecution said it should be allowed because Shane's last words, her very last words, that sweet girl's last words were heard on the tape. So defense attorneys also tried to suppress clothing of Bentler's from the day he was apprehended. The socks that Bentler was wearing that day had drops of blood on them. That blood belonged to his mother, Sandra Bentler. Sloppy. His attorney was mostly concerned that law enforcement did not have a warrant when they first looked at his clothes at the time of his arrest. Paperwork. Paperwork. When the clothing was taken into evidence, they stayed in a DCI agent's trunk for approximately four days before being secured appropriately. Or, you know, like in an evidence locker. But if it's in a trunk, it's technically secure. 
right? So Bentler's attorney claimed the evidence could have been contaminated. I get it. I see where, I can see where you'd be a crappy attorney if you didn't bring that up. Yeah, right? I'd, feel, I'd you know? feel worse if it was in the guy's glove box. But. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But it's, it's locked in a trunk. The agent, when asked, you know, why that took so long, it was because they were they were busy with the, the crime scene. Yeah, of course. So it's, yeah, it, it's not the first time I've seen it in in a, in a trial like this. Where why did why did you take so long to get the evidence? Well, we spent two days processing a scene right. there because was this was a massive hundreds case. Hundreds of pieces of evidence. Yeah. If, if defense attorneys are listening to us right now, they're like they're like. Fuck you guys. Yeah, they, they, like, I, mean, you I know. Guys are I know. We, you know we are. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, defense just, attorneys. You're doing good out there. I appreciate the work you do because way too many innocent people get prosecuted. Yes. Yes. On the on that flip side, you know, and and again, you wouldn't you wouldn't be a, a good attorney if you didn't bring that up. And so. it wouldn't be a system if people exactly. people like this yeah. didn't have a chance yeah. to defend themselves. We're not hating on you. No. I promise. So Bentler waived his right to a jury trial. What? Yes. Five. Murder charges, and he waived his right to a jury trial, which means his fate would not be in the hands of 12 of his peers, but it would be up to a judge in a bench trial. Now that is a shocking turn of events. So one person, one person would be holding your life in his hands or her hand. In this instance, it was a his. Judges are stern people. Yes. I think well, there's most, 12. I think, maybe, I, think, I think most people would, which is why this, this thing right here. People waiving their right to an individual, to a jury trial, to have it. That's rare. Well, I don't the, even know the, if we've seen this on Midwest murder I, I to this point. I don't think we have. I don't think we have. I mean, but wow. the, the whole, but the point would be, the point would be to have different perspectives, right? Everybody's so different. So very, it, it was, that too was a, a head scratcher. So the prosecution claimed that Bentler had all the motive in the world. Bentler's parents had this very lucrative estate and he would be looking to gain approximately $2.8 million. Like we said earlier, Bentler did, after all, have some money problems. So in one of Jonah's favorite moves, Sean Bentler took the stand in his own defense. Oh, boy. This I, always goes well for the accused. Ten times out of ten, it goes well. For, so let's, right. I can't wait right. to hear it. And I would, I would actually love to see the statistics on how that typically works out. I'm not being sarcastic. Like no, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I would I'm really too. curious. There's a number of cruncher data person out there. Check you, it out. And you got yeah. that info. Let us know. We'll, we're we'll not give you a shout out. Yeah. On the stand, um, he did not look like a killer. He looked like a wounded little kid in a too big suit. Wow. And he was even calm and collected. Not losing his cool, just just there. $3 million motive, though. I know. It's a, it's a big one. On the stand, he spoke positively of his father, almost beaming with pride. He said, quote, first and foremost, he was a provider for everybody. He put everybody else's needs first. No matter what he did, he was the best at it. I didn't have a habit of asking for a lot, but if there was something that needed to be taken care of and I didn't have any money... My dad would take care of it, end quote. Bentler said of his mom, quote, she was happy to be a grandma. And he was referring to when he had, had the two children of his own. He described his sisters with what sounded like love. Sheena was kind of a tomboy and enjoyed hunting. Shelby was a little more feminine and liked to cook. He compared Shane's high, intelli- high intelligence to her other sisters. So the interesting part, remember when I, I said the cell phone, right? Was found yeah. uh, at the house or in his mom's car or something? Yep, yep. It was, no, it was found in the house. Okay, okay. Yep. So when asked about why his cell phone was at his family's residence, he claimed he left it in his mother, mother's vehicle when she came to visit him and Quincy the day before. Uh, I mean, it, it, okay, it, it could happen. Now, one of the girls was on the phone earlier that night, obviously, and Sandra hopped on the line Right, because remember landlines, you'd pick up the other the other of you can end of the phone. Listen right? in, sure, and, man. And, that's the 
That's a sneaky right. classic move right know, there. You'd call somebody who maybe likes your friend and they're listening on the other, on the other phone end. line. Oh, well, man. Well, in this case, it was- Holding it was, down the mute button. Right, right. And in this case, it was Sandra telling the girls not to stay up too late and not to be on the phone too late. So that really blows that out of the water, his excuse of, of his mom being in Quincy. If she's hopping on the phone and saying, girls, don't stay up too late. Right. You know, it's an hour and a half drive. Probably not happening. So when it, when it became time for the prosecution to cross-examine Bentler, he admitted to stealing his mom's jewelry and pawning it for cash. He wasn't even above stealing straight-up money from them either. His roommate testified he had seen Bentler take approximately $150 in jewelry from his parents' unlocked safe. He stole from them, but vehemently denied speaking poorly of his parents. Okay, I've said this a couple times. Just because he's stealing stuff doesn't mean he's a murderer. Of course. Right? No. It's, this is more character, right? I, I, I know a bunch of people who have stolen and- And not murdered. Not murdered. Yeah. A rebuttal witness for the prosecution would say that he actually had spoken poorly of his parents. Prior to Bentler being fired from one of his jobs, this job was at Chevy Schottenkirk, the witness, Cornell Williams, worked with him. Williams claimed he didn't like his father at all. He'd say he, meaning his father, would be dead soon and that would eventually inherit and that he would eventually inherit his money. Even Bentler's, one of Bentler's child's mothers. What a stupid, gross boast. God, that makes my skin yeah, crawl. Yeah, I, I, it's like, why, shut your mouth uh, and, and we'll just don't do it first. But then don't, don't run your mouth on that stuff. Like, oh my gosh. Even if it's a joke, like it's not, it's not, it's not funny. It's, uh, it's, it's creepy as hell. It, it and I yeah. just, I can't even imagine, nobody's ever told me I'm going to kill somebody or like, oh man, my parents will be dead. But God Dang it, what a scary ass red flag. You know, if, if I can't, you can't call the cops on somebody when they do that because it's, there's right. nothing what, illegal they, they has happened. Ex- right. People exactly. have called the cops on others who have, who have made those claims before and they can't do they anything. They can't really do anything about and, it. And you can't monitor somebody 24 seven to make sure no. they don't kill. It's like no. so unrealistic, but it's, it's just weird when some of these signs like this pop up right. in the aftermath of, of these sure. murders yeah. and there's nothing that probably could have really been done. No. To stop this no. from happening. But it, it, it Right. Right. Yeah. I I wonder. I mean, I, I think many people do. So even one of uh Bentler's little girl's moms said he had mentioned his parents' death before. Oh, to the yeah. baby mama? Yeah. On the stand, his ex girlfriend and mother of his youngest child testified that Bentler asked her if she would let him see their daughter if he killed someone. So saying, you know, if I killed someone, would you still let me see my daughter? And mind you, he didn't have anything to do with the youngest daughter until she was about a year old. Oh. So he allegedly also told her his money troubles would disappear if his parents died. Sean Bentler was one of those fellows who held a few different jobs. Sean Bentler was also a shit person. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, I think he struggled as a father. He struggled to be there for his children, you know, and, 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 you know, held a few different jobs, which whatever that happens. I mean, you know, that's, that doesn't really affect who you are, but no. when what's interesting but, is when neighbors were asked about the Bentler family, many of them didn't even talk about Sean. Yeah. I mean, all, yeah. It, yeah. So he, he'd had his own, you know, legal trouble, not a lot, you know, but I would, I would make the somewhat educated guess that he was a bit of a lost soul, you know, for whatever reason. So in the trial, the defense seemed to pull out all the stops. They called his grandmother, Julia Mendez. So that's his mom's mom's mom to testify about how great her relationship was with him. That is a low blow, I feel like. I mean, but that's, yeah. They also asked her about his demeanor as he was growing up. And one of the biggest head scratchers of evidence submitted was an interview transcript from Sanders' optometrist regarding her poor eyesight. Hold on, just wait. 
The defense claimed that Sandra could have been mistaken in identifying Sean as the intruder or murderer in the dark house that horrible night. So she, what? So her, so, so she's not going to recognize her, her own, own child son. because she's got shitty eyesight. Are you kidding me? The Come defense on. attorneys have a tough job to do. I get and, it. And they, I get they it. were weathering the storm of having to defend I know. a when you're, shit when you're, person. When you're dealt with a shit hand, I, I, I get Ugh. it. I know, but come on. I mean, there's, there, but, but, there comes a point the, where there there's are, some dignity too, you know? That's what I was saying. There are defense attorneys who will draw a line in the sand, right. as it were, and, and they won't cross that barrier. Yeah. So it, uh, I get yeah, it. Yeah, there's... Did, so, the, did, the, did the grandmother have anything nice to say about she him? She did. She had wonderful things to say about oh, him. That's why she had to have been tough. That's why she, that's why she called or that's why they called her as a witness, you know, a character witness. All right. What was not exactly playing in Bentler's favor though, was the testimony of Travis Holder, the 22 year old roommate of Bentler. So when you have a roommate, they typically know your habits, your patterns, your whereabouts, right? Travis testified he saw Bentler at their apartment the night before the murder at about 6 PM, shortly before he left to meet friends for a football game out of town. When Travis returned at approximately 1.30 a.m., he saw Bentler sitting on the couch. I should also point out that he also testified that he wasn't, quote, completely trashed. That Travis was saying he himself he, yes, wasn't, Travis completely wasn't completely trashed. trashed. Okay. He, I myself he, have not been completely right, trashed you know, before and would consider myself to have been copacetic. Yes. Like, yes. So he did admittedly question some of his timeline, right? Man, sober people question their timelines, okay? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. He was asked to explain the morning of October 14th then. Hopefully, a little more sober at this point, he woke up at about 6.45 a.m. to go to work. He once again saw his roommate in the apartment. He got into his vehicle and noticed a quarter of a tank of gas was missing. When he parked his car the evening before, there was only a quarter tank of gas. So when he went to leave for work, the gauge was in the red and it was empty. Quarter tank of gas. And he wasn't completely trash, so he knows. He knows, right. Yeah. I'm not completely trashed. And I think that's one of those things, if you know, you know, right? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't completely trashed. I may have, you know, I'd Look, had a couple. If I get in my car at any point, I'm going to notice a quarter tank of gas <laughs> out notice. of my car, period. Yes, yes exactly. Just, just like my dad always noticed when I sniped a, one or two of his cigarettes out of his pack growing up. <laughs> right. You'd think, oh, yeah. there's, there's 17 of them in here. He'll, he'll, she's not going to notice if I take two. If those things are $4 a pack. Yeah, he noticed. Know. He noticed. So Travis could, the roommate, could also consider himself kind of lucky because investigators bought Travis some new tires for his well-broken-in Ford Festiva because they wanted his current tires for evidence. Oh. There was a track at the end of the long driveway that was consistent with the tire from the Ford Festiva. Wow, good job on the part of the investiga- right? uh, on, on the part of the investigation to yeah. get that. So I think at that point it doesn't really matter if if uh, Travis was completely trashed or not. No, I mean it makes makes sense. It all adds up. It does. So of course, Bentler's attorneys said there was no motive and definitely no opportunity to kill his entire family. They claimed it was simply not possible to drive to the rural Bonaparte home, commit the actual murders, clean up, and then drive back to his apartment to be seen by his roommate between the hours of approximately two a.m. and six forty-five a.m. Yeah, fighting the timeline, but it's but how not. does how do socks or how do do does drops of your mom's blood get on your socks if you were never there? Yeah, that's what I want to know. It so doesn't. It doesn't. It just doesn't. And even contamination not going to happen. So the most damning evidence against Bentler, according to the prosecution, was the nine one one call, and the defense obviously disagreed because they'd had to they, you know they tried to have it suppressed. And in fact, the transcripts from each team differed. So this is how much they disagreed. They, they were the same, but there were still enough differences. So the prosecution notes an unknown speaker who they say was Sandra Bentler. It was the voice saying, please don't, and please, Sean, don't. The defense left that part out 
but classified it as voices in the background. Whoa, nice try. Yeah, nice try. Yeah. So when Bentler was on the stand, Assistant Attorney General Scott Brown asked him, quote, did you gun down your whole family on the morning of October 14th? Bentler replied, no. Brown said, you're disputing that fact, even though your own sister identifies you three times. Bentler simply replied, yes. I'm shaking my head profusely over here at this guy. It, it... Yeah. So the, the trial lasted. So the trial started on Monday and ended on Friday. So it only lasted a week. And being it was a bench trial, the jury didn't have to deliberate. So about two weeks later, the judge came back and said, okay, I have So the, ju- the judge took a couple of weeks to it reach took, a verdict? Yeah, I believe wow. it was, if I remember correctly, I didn't write it down. I believe it was May 27th. See, no, that, that's, a, that's a weird stretch of time to have to wait that long for a verdict. Because juries, it's, it's juries, that'd be like waving. a, that's like a hung jury. You'd be worrying about a hung jury at that point. Well, that's yeah, freaky. Yeah. If I'm wanting a, pro- if I'm wanting a prosecution of somebody and I don't have an answer in th- two days of a jury right. trial, three days, yeah, that's troublesome. Two weeks, the judge sat on this. That's kind of intense. It's like when someone asks for space, you know, please don't contact me. And someone asks for space. Like, I and think, it's like two I think weeks. We need to talk. I think, I feel like, I feel like this is a lot of time. Yeah. Two, almost a week. It was like a week and a half. It seemed like, I, I believe, uh, according to the, the dates. Well, he came back and was found guilty. Good. So at sentencing, which was now another month later, you know, cause of course you have to go through yep. pre-sentence investigation and all that. Yep. Julie Bentler, Sean's aunt, which was Mike's sister said, I will never understood how you could look each of them in their eyes and do this. Your mother begging you, Sean, don't. And you pulling the trigger and killing her anyway. I'm not sure God will forgive you for that. Chris Mendez, Sean's aunt, Sandra's sister, said, I hate when I want to talk to my sister. I have to go to the cemetery. That one gets me. That one, yeah, uh, that one's... It's painful. Yeah. Lisa Simmons, Sean's aunt, Mike's sister, said, I think you will be tormented for the rest of your life on earth and what lies ahead. I'd like to believe people pay dearly for their sins and you are treated in life as you treat others. So, Sean, God help you. You'll need it. That, that is fierce. Wow. Yeah. Sean Bentler was sentenced to four concurrent life sentences and one consecutive life sentence. No chance for parole. During sentencing, Judge Mullins said, quote, I've considered the fact that you brutally killed your sisters and you showed no mercy to your mother as she begged you. I do believe the verdict that you chased her down the hall as you killed her. End quote. Bentler sat there as 11 people, mostly family members, addressed him in the court. He avoided eye contact and barely raised his head. When Judge Mullins asked if he would like to address the court, he declined. Sean, who will likely never draw a breath of freedom again, is incarcerated at the Anamosa State Penitentiary in eastern Iowa. Like most convicted murderers do, he appealed his conviction, based on the way the DCI took control of his property at his arrest at the jail. He claimed it violated his Fourth Amendment rights, which of course is unreasonable search and seizure. The Iowa Court of Appeals disagreed and said it did not violate his rights and therefore would not allow for a new trial. Yeah, not no no shock there, but nice try. It's it's fair. Yeah. I mean it's a it that that's probably a Everybody appeals. <laughs> that's a that's a better uh that's a, a, a better Everybody appeals, but yeah, there are only it's so it's so hard. Oh, they mess up on a, on a little bit of paperwork or or one step the tech, here. The technicality like, bullshit. The technicality right? bullshit. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I'm sure it happens, but I think it's pretty rare. It, right. And it, trying the right. technicality. I, hope it is. I, I, I I I feel like it is, and yeah. like in terms of whenever I see those actions and those those efforts, like I just. And the the estate of Bentler's parents. Well, an Iowa law prohibits convicted murderers from receiving any inheritance from a crime they've committed. So, in a ruling in 2008, Bentler's parents' estate would also not pay for his legal expenses. His two daughters, Chloe and Avalie, would each receive half of their grandparents' estate. They split it down the middle. Oh, I don't know if that makes me 
you know, feel any better about anything, but I just can't believe this guy thought he was going to kill his whole family and get away with it and just make 3 million bucks. Did he, did, I, I mean, I just wondered, did he think that, okay, I won't get away with it and I'll just, I'll, I'll do my time for 30 years or something and have, it'll be worth 3 yeah. million in the end. It's, I, it's I so know. unreasonable. Yeah. It's well, so unreasonable. And I, I have to wonder, is there a, a, a cognitive disability maybe of some sort, just, you know, a reasoning disability of some sort? Well, thinking, well I mean, scientifically his brain hasn't finished developing well, until the right. age of yeah. 25. Uh, right, so right. There, but, there is, there is a, a, your brain, your logic and reason processing centers aren't fully developed. And that's right, not, but of this course, isn't, it doesn't mean, this isn't that. Yeah. But, but I mean, but I think at any 22 year old, or, you know, the average, which I don't like average, but the average 22 year old boy is going to reason this is not good. Yeah. Right. This is not a, this is a lose lose. Yeah. You know, so you just, yeah, I just, I wonder if there's, there's some sort of uh, something there. A very, very, very tragic disconnect. Yes, big time. So timeline, resources, people, history, top end sports, and CNN. And the majority of the information came from the court documents, in addition to article from KHQA, Remembering the Bettlers by Melissa Shriver, article from Daily Gate City and MVM News Network by Robin Delaney, article from Des Moines Register by Jennifer Jacobs and Lee Hermiston, and then also another one by Jennifer Jacobs, and articles from Des Moines Register by Abby Simons. <sighs> wow. Thank you, everybody. Remember, check us out on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Midwest Murder. If you want to hook us up with a little tip, you can also get merch now at tpublic.com forward slash stores forward slash Midwest Murder. And hey, if you've already reviewed or maybe you don't have time to review, sharing is caring. Find us on social media. Tell a friend about us. That stuff really goes a long way. We'll see you at upcoming tour dates. You can get tickets for Midwest Murder on Eventbrite. And again, Big thanks to a typical brewery, the Midwest Murder Beer Buried Alive will be available June 1st. Benefits pro, uh, benefits going to the DVCC of Minot and to DCR Brewing Company, the beer Crime of Passion Fruit, a passion fruit blood orange guava sour will be available at our show there Friday the 13th. Thank you. This episode was written by myself, Don Palumbo, and produced by the Good Talk Network. 